we're going to start a new series this week called Lost and Found. Um, and it, it's going to be a month-long series. We've got three of these coming. We're going to be teaching out of some parables in Luke. Um, and I'm pretty excited about today because we get to kind of break down some, some pretty big misconceptions that the church has formed over the last uh, however many years. So I'm excited about that. To start that, we at The Bridge, we've kind of developed this statement and, and Steve and I and our team started praying over these words and putting these words together long before we ever had a space to move into. But we wanted to have some kind of, of, of statement, some kind of banner for us to go, it, whatever we do, we want to be sure that it fits under this description of life and ministry. And so what we came up with was this phrase that, that we as the bridge feel like we are called to share the life-changing love of Jesus Christ with lost and hurting people. And we really prayed over each and every word, and we had several different formations that this come up where we'd remove different phrases and different words and, and replace them with other things. But we landed here because we really felt like the bridge does, we do a lot of really good things. We, we do ministry for single moms and for military families. We do ministry for homeless and, and for hungry people here in our city. We do lots of good things, but we feel like the best thing the best thing that we can do is to tell people about who Jesus really is and the impact that he can actually have on their life. All the other stuff is great, but the best thing we can do is share that life-changing love that only Jesus can give to people who are lost and hurting. Now, the reason we focused on that lost and hurting phrase, and we teach this all the time from the bridge, we feel like that's the only people that are out there. At some point in life, even in this stage, all of us are hurting or struggling or fighting with something. And even in your life, it may be something small or maybe something major. But regardless of comparing it to other people's life, most of us have some kind of hurt that we are carrying and trying to deal with. And so that's why we really love that word hurting because we're all in different seasons hurting and we need to find a place where we can come and hear about the life-changing love of Jesus that heals our hurts. But the other word is the one we're really going to focus in on today, and that's lost. And I feel like for some reason the church has done a really bad word at defining lost and what that means. Because what's happened is we kind of have this phrase of the people in church who are believers, we're the good Christian people. And then there's the lost people. And it has this negative connotation with it, like we are good and upstanding and right, and then there's the evil, heathen, lost people. And that's not at all, that's not even close to the description that God paints of what lostness is in Scripture. Christians have to be reminded, we as believers have to be reminded that just because we know Jesus does not make us better as a person than any other person, regardless of what they believe. If anything, our relationship with Jesus should remind us of how broken and messy we really are. And the deeper you dive into that relationship and see how we have nothing to offer other than who God is and how good he is, it should humble us and remind us that we don't have it all together, that we do need help, that we do need other people, and most importantly, that we need God above all things. And so as we start really breaking into that phrase, lost, that's the place we have to start, is becoming a Christian and following Jesus reminds us that we are all broken and messy. Ephesians 2 uh, verse 12 says this, Remember that at a time you, believer, you, Christian, were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, 
you were without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. All of us at one time were looking for something. And whether that was through our family, that that's the way we grew up, or a friend or a family member or somebody that introduced us to Jesus, then it changed our life. There's another passage that that I love to focus in on. We're going to have it up on the screen, but it's the message version. And it says this, when you were stuck in your old sin, dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. But God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it, all sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant was canceled and nailed to the cross. The important thing for us to really see is the transition and how it happens from lost to found. From unbeliever to believer. And it's outlined in both of these passages and it's so important but we read over it so quickly. The only way for us to go from lost to found, from broken to healed in God is through Jesus. There is no amount of good we can do. There is no amount of help we can give. There is no right words that we can say. There's nothing that we can do on our own to transition from being without hope and without God in the world. The only way to receive that is through Jesus. And for me, that kind of takes the pressure off a little bit of us trying to, to work out what is found and what is lost. Found is just accepting that the only way for you to find the things that you really need in life is through Jesus, and lost is you're still looking in other places. That's the only difference. It's not good person, bad person. It's not healed person, broken person. It's a bunch of broken and messy people, but some of them have decided that with all of our life, we're going to try to pursue Jesus with everything that we have to look for the answer. And other people are pursuing all kinds of other things. And that's what lost is. So the big question for me as I read through that and study that is, why would God care whether or not we're lost? Because that seems to be kind of a popular opinion that that people say, well, God loves the people that love him, but doesn't want anything to do with the people who don't want anything to do with him. And I've watched so many people make that decision. I'm like, God doesn't want me. I'm not sure about all that. He's, he's, not, he's not interested in me. He can have the good Christian church people, but he, he's not interested in me. As I started thinking about that, of why, why would God chase after us, I started thinking about the things in my life that I chase after. And so let's start at one end of the spectrum. And, and so let's take a poll and be honest. How many of you are pretty bad about losing things? Nice. All right, I'm not alone. I'm real bad. I'm real bad. Um, I'm often very late looking for everything that I own. Um, and it's, it's, they're never all gone at once, but it's always something different every week. And so I will have to plan sometimes 20 minutes to like just find my keys so that I can leave and go to where I'm going. That's super frustrating. We've all lost keys. We've all lost a phone. My, like the heart palpitations you get when your phone is gone, right? Takes years off of your life, whether it's a minute or, or a day, it, it hurts. But we've all been there. Your wallet, 
your purse. Um, but as you think through those things and how frustrating it is to lose that, the reality is those things are replaceable. It's frustrating. Sometimes you lose pictures. Sometimes you have, you, know, you have to get a new phone number, whatever. But those things are replaceable. And over time, you get something new, you replace it, you move on. So let's go up just one more notch. Uh, how many of you have uh, fur babies? How many of you got puppies? That's all I'm counting as pets. No, I'm just <laughs> And cats. Dogs. Cats are over here somewhere. Uh, it's just a personal opinion. You don't have to agree with me. I'm just right. So how many of you have been to a dog park, walked by a dog park, and know people with dogs, and you see two extremes? You see two extremes of pet owners. There's the one that is like walking their dog, no leash, perfect straight line, like shoulders up, he's like, and the dog like backflips and cartwheels, like scrambles eggs. It's impressive. It's really crazy. It's like you look at that and you go, that's the perfect dog. How did they do that? How did they get their dog to do that? We're all jealous of that person. And then there's the other one. And the whole time they're just screaming their dog's name as it runs into the distance, never to be seen again. To the point, yeah, to the point where they're just, you just see the poor person walking around in the park with the leash, just kind of like, what's happened to my life? How did I get here? So let's take it up another notch. Let's, let's continue increasing this. Um, go to your local grocery store and watch the families with their kids. Let's do two extremes again. You've got the one kid helping mom push the cart, putting things in there. Yes, father. Yes, mother waving politely to all the people who pass by, curtsying and bowing. And you look at them, you're like, what did you do to get that child? How did you pull that off? Why can't I do that? Then you have the other extreme. The running, crying, throwing, breaking, screaming, somewhere lost in the department child. And we're all kind of doing the... (laughs) And you see the parent walking the aisles with the child's shoe in one hand and their pants in the other... And you have to know they wonder where they went wrong. But you know what? I've never seen in either of those situations, whether it's the pet or the parent, I've never seen the owner or the parent go, well, I guess that's it. I'm going to go home now. Good luck, young four-year-old. Hope you can survive here in Target. Find all the things that you need to survive. Find your way to an education someday. You're doing fine on your own. I've never seen anyone do that but what's so funny is adults we grasp that concept like of course I would never leave my child in a grocery store just because they weren't obeying but then we get to adulthood and somewhere along the way we look at God and we go God you would never want me because I'm so broken and so disobedient God you would never love me because of how messy I am God you would never want me to come home because I am such a mess And I think God looks at us the same way that parent would and just kind of be like, what, is, what are you thinking? I've given everything for you. You're my child. I love you. I so desperately want for you to come home. So why is that? We have this passage that we're going to look at that's kind of the core of what we're looking at today. It's Luke 15. And it starts right here in verse 1, and this sets up kind of the story of what's happening But it says the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, the teachers, the hyper-religious, they were muttering around Jesus saying, This man 
welcomes sinners and he eats with them. How disgraceful that God would be with those lost people. And so Jesus hears this and he begins to tell stories. And we're going to focus on one of those examples. They're called parables. They're just examples of how God would respond. And in verse 8, we read about this lost coin. And it says this, Suppose a woman has ten silver coins, which is about ten days of wages. And she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. If you put yourself in that place, coins are coins, but let's say you you get your paycheck and you go cash it out, and by the time you get home, you're missing a whole day's wage. You giving up? You just like, meh. We're probably all going to go look for that and try to figure out what happened to that. We worked for that day. That's a big deal. That's money that we need. It's important to us. It's valuable. And God's saying in the same way, listen, money is one thing, but you may find your day's wage and celebrate with your friends, but there is a party in heaven every time one lost person finds their way back to Jesus. Why does Jesus, why does God eat with the sinners and and love them and be with them? Because he sees them as valuable. And I feel like that's important for our life because we sing songs like that, like, God, there's no wall you won't kick down, there's no mountain you won't climb up, and there's no darkness that you won't march into. And we sing that on Sunday, and then we go home, and we're like, God, you, you, you don't want anything to do with me. And he speaks passages like this to say, listen, I don't care If you believe in me or not, I see you as valuable, and I want you to come home. I want you to be found. If we go back to the grocery store and, and, you know, kid number two has been missing now for, for a couple minutes, and the intercoms have gone off, and they're searching for little Bobby and the mom is at the front, the dad is at the front, whoever, and, and you can see they're, they're anxious. Maybe they're crying, they're pacing. And all of a sudden you see this little head pop out of a coat rack. <laughs> and little Bobby makes eye contact with mom and dad and runs on up and, and the parents embrace them and pick them up and hold them close. And they're probably a little angry and, and a little upset and a little disappointed, but, but mainly you just see the relief. And you see their face change. And they're just so glad to have their kid home. And it doesn't mean that they don't talk to them about, hey, don't do that again. But they're just glad that they made it back. And that's the same way that God receives us when we come home. Whether we've believed in him for a long time and have started to stray or we've never really believed that God is who he says he is. God is that parent at the front of the grocery store just anxious for his kid to come back to him so he can keep him safe and protect him and continue to do life with that child. There's a really specific uh, example of this in scripture that I I want us to focus on for a little bit. And it's a very popular story. And if you grew up in in kids' um, 
you know, Bible church, you probably have sang the song and heard the story many times, but it's about a wee little man named Zacchaeus. Here's what this passage says. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, excuse me, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy, and he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree just so he could see Jesus. And since Jesus was coming right underneath him. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to Zacchaeus in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter again. And it's so interesting to use that word in both the coin and this story. It was just the murmur in the background. It was those whispered, hushed voices. There goes Jesus again. That evil Zacchaeus, that sinner, that lost person. Who does this Jesus guy think he is? All of us good people are here, and he should eat with us, but he's going to eat with Zacchaeus. And so, as Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus into his home, they have this interaction, they break bread together. And Zacchaeus stands up and he says to Jesus, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody, which is his nice political way of saying, because I have cheated people, because he's a chief tax collector, and that's what they did, and that's why at the beginning it tells us he was wealthy because he was good at it. So because I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount that I took from them. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, for Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. I think it's so important right there in the end of those passages in verses 8 and 9, to one, see the change in Zacchaeus, and two, to see the response from Jesus. Before Zacchaeus had said anything, before Zacchaeus had said anything about how he felt about God, before he said he was going to give anything back to the people he stole from, before he said he was going to give anything to the poor, Jesus wanted to be with Zacchaeus. Jesus wanted to show him love. Breaking bread with somebody was an intimate, special thing. You just don't invite any stranger into your home. It's special even to us today, and it was especially special for them. Before any of that, before Zacchaeus made any decision, Jesus wanted to be with him. And then after being in the presence of God and and watching Jesus work and watching his love for Zacchaeus, even though Zacchaeus was a broken, wicked man, that love changed his heart. And out of his heart came action where he said, listen, I'm not going to be the same person I was anymore. I'm not going to steal from people. I'm not going to take. I'm going to give. And we see that life-changing love of Jesus change a person. That, that turn in direction, that life change, is a word that we call repent. And that sounds like this big scary church word, but basically, you know, the same way I would teach it to students is you're walking in one direction, and it's away from God. And repenting is stopping, realizing you're moving in the wrong direction, 
and heading back towards God. That's all that it means. It's getting to a place where you realize you're walking from God and going, God, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be here. Turning around and heading back in the other direction. Zacchaeus repented in action with his life. And it's the same way when we come home. Listen, guys, God is a God of grace, and he's always the God standing on the front porch waiting for the child to come home. He's always the God at the front of the convenience store waiting for the child to be found. But God doesn't want you to continue in this repetition of lost, found, lost, found. He has plenty of grace for you to be lost as many times as you could ever be lost. But he has something better planned for you. And that's the repent life changes. He wants you to realize that you need him, but he wants you to turn and, and, and begin to follow him and the things that he wants for your life because he knows that it brings blessing. The word, um, let me find my notes here. I don't want to get it wrong. In the New Testament, this lost word comes from this Greek word called apollolumai. And it comes from two different Greek words, apo, which is a way, and the word Alumai, which is destruction, ruin, death. And so you put those words together, and in context, they're saying lost is to be completely destroyed or to be ruined away. God doesn't care that you're lost for his own selfish desires. God cares that you're lost because he knows that it leads to destruction and ruin. And that's the only way I know how to teach anything up here because I can't I can't prove this in any other way than living it out in my own life and saying, yep, that worked for me. Yep, that worked for me. And I know there's so many of you that have that same story because you once were lost and now you're found like we sang in Amazing Grace. But when you were lost, you tried to do it your way and you tried as hard as you could to make it work and it just wouldn't work. And that doesn't mean you weren't a good person and that doesn't mean that you did good things. It just means that you continue, you continue to feel that hole and that missing gap in your life. And then when you turned and repented and realized and pursued God and were considered found, as you follow God in that path, you continue to have those empty places filled. And it's only by experiencing it that you can put your faith in it. It's one of my favorite illustrations. That's the whole point of faith is if I put a chair on the stage until you sit in it, you don't know that it'll hold you. And I can promise and guarantee and swear all day that it's a good chair and it's going to hold you. But until you put your weight all the way down in that chair, you're not going to know for sure if it's going to support you. And being found is no different. To experience the difference in your own life between lost and found is just to say, I'm going to sit in the chair. And I'm going to see if God will do what he says he'll do. And that's for you to experience, and that's for God to work in your life in an amazing way. It's the same way that Zacchaeus took that step of faith and said, I'm, I'm just going to try it. I'm going to put all of my weight into it. I'm going to climb the tree. I'm going to find him, and I'm going to see what this is about. And it changes life forever. Our walk with God is not really designed to be a perpetual coming home. That's where repentance comes in. God welcomes us with open arms, but he has a greater plan than us just walking in and out of the door. I want to kind of close with this. Sometimes for us, being lost is just an honest accident. Not everybody has the same opportunities. Not everybody's been exposed to people who live out their faith, who love Jesus, who live what this teaches. 
But most of the time, the reason we're lost, the reason we're wandering, is because we tried to take a shortcut somewhere in life without really knowing where it was going. There was this time I was in college with a bunch of friends, and, and we came out to Colorado to snowboard, and we're at Wolf Creek, and it's an amazing resort, but it's kind of off the map a little bit. And as we're exploring the mountain kind of for the first time, we're getting a little bit of a feel for it, but at, at a point, we decided to go around to the backside of the mountain, and it's very separate and very removed and quite a distance from the rest of the resort. And the only way to get back from that side back to the main side is this long, slow, flat path. Which, if you're a skier, doesn't matter. When you're a snowboarder, you have to be real careful or you're walking a long way. And so my wonderful friends that I had that were skiers thought it was real funny uh, to come by and push the snowboarders down. So that we have to take off our board and walk the rest of the way. And they got a huge kick out of it. It was so funny. So after some words were exchanged... This one time, they catch me and catch me from behind, and I get knocked over, and I go, you know what? I'm going to find a shortcut. I don't know anything about this mountain. I don't know anything about where I am. I've only been on this path once before. I'm going to take a shortcut. And so instead of staying on the straight little slow path, I hop off the side and jump into the trees thinking, I'll just hop off here and take a little shortcut and pop out, and I'll beat them down to the bottom, and it will be great. And then like an hour later, I'm still out in the trees, <laughs> sitting there on the edge of this 10-foot drop-off going, huh, probably was not my brightest idea. And I have no cell phone service, and I realize in that moment I am lost. And I didn't have help, and I, I wasn't with anybody. I didn't have a way to signal for help. And so I slowly fell and crawled and scooted and slid my way as far as I could go until luckily eventually I popped out into this parking lot a long way away from the resort but I was so relieved no cars no anything just some random parking lot so I took off my board and I, I hiked all the way back in and my friend's like where were you dude you've been gone for like two hours yeah and then I found the guy that no I'm not going to tell what happened later but and then I repented. <laughs> we all get lost, but this story has some really important notes for us to take from it. Sometimes the hard journey is still the correct journey. And we want to get off the trail, and we know that it's a long walk, and we know that it's tough, and we know that there's hard seasons ahead. But just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not the best most rewarding, joyful, love-filled path for your life. Staying with people you trust and who love you is usually the best way to keep from getting lost. Even if a couple of my friends were jerks, if I'd stayed with them and, and reached out for help and asked somebody to go back with me, I wouldn't have been lost. I would have been with the group. I would have been down at the bottom just like everyone else. But we try to do this on our own so often and we say we don't need anybody until you're sitting at the edge of the bluff going, how did I get here and I don't have any help? Guys, this one point alone is why we do this. This is why we're here. 
Because when you do get lost, because we all make mistakes and we all wander and sometimes we step off the path, you have a place where you can raise your hand and people are within reach. And it can help you find your way back. That's what we're here for. That's what this community is for. For the day that you get lost to be able to find your way home. third point is you can always, you can always come back from being lost. You just may not like where you have to come back from. There are always consequences with sin. There are always consequences for choosing your own way as opposed to God's way. God is always going to welcome you home. But it doesn't mean it's not going to be a harder road when you choose your own way. And scripture is really clear about that. And that's just, the, that's just the disclaimer. Better things are to come, but when you choose your own way, you may not like where you have to come back from. But you can do it. And it's easier with people. Last point. God will never, God will never stop looking for you to come home. He's waiting. And it doesn't matter if you've ever trusted him before in your entire life, God sits there and he waits for you. That's not a blanket statement. I'm talking to each and every one of you, I'm talking to myself, God will never stop waiting for me. God will never stop waiting for you. He's ready to kick down those walls and climb those mountains and go into those dark places. He's just waiting for you to come out of the coat rack. God, it's so crazy as we look into this series. God, I am so disobedient. Daily, I fall short of what you ask for me as a man of God. But Lord, daily, you meet me in that broken, messy place and you remind me how much you love me. God, you remind me how valuable I am. You remind me that you will never stop fighting for me. And God, I don't deserve that, but praise God that that's the kind of God that you are. Lord, we need to be reminded of that. You have so much grace for us, and you're waiting for us every day. Lord, you're just waiting for us to turn around and start walking towards you. God, give us the boldness when we're lost to raise our hand and ask for help. God, fill our hearts with the kind of love as, as people who are chasing you to look around us and to notice the lost and other broken, messy people in our lives. And God, to reach out and to do everything we can to keep them from jumping off that path by themselves. God, teach us to love each other well. God, as we go out from this place, I, I pray that we just continue to reflect on this passage. We are your most valuable possession. It's probably time we start living our lives in a way that reflects that. Lord, let us be like Zacchaeus and climb the tree and go the distance to get close to you so that you can work in our hearts and change our lives forever. 
I pray for anyone in this room who might consider themselves lost right now. Lord, create a burden in their heart for them to come out and to come find you. Lord, that you can show them true, unapologetic, unfiltered love, maybe for the first time in their life. Lord, thank you for loving us even though we don't deserve it. Thank you for giving us a chance to be a part of something much bigger than ourselves. Father, it's in your name.